0: This is The Relevant Podcast.
1: It's the week of July 31st, 2020, and it's The Relevant Podcast. Here in Orlando, I'm your host, Cameron Strang. And before I introduce the cast, I want to let you know that today's episode is brought to you by Life Journal. What if there was one place that you could do your quiet time, journaling, scripture reading, praying, note taking, in the same space as all of your goal setting, habit tracking, planning the day, week, and month? Life Journal combines both your spiritual life and your day to day life together into one planner. Life Journal is a 13 week, gospel focused daily planner and journal designed to clarify and focus who you are created and called to be. Organize your day, accomplish your goals, and grow in your spiritual disciplines. Your daily planner and journal is more than just checking boxes. It's setting your day before the Lord. You can start your day with thankfulness, schedule out your day, study his word, and create actionable tasks to move you closer to your goals. Go check it out. You can get a free seven-day sample and 40% wow, off your first life journal at gospelfocus.com. Start something new today that will help you organize your day, accomplish your goals, and grow in your faith. It takes 30 seconds to get your free seven-day sample at gospelfocus.com slash relevant. I actually have one right here. It's fantastic. Like, look at that. It's like a, like the one thing, like this is for real, like this is the one thing that I've been lacking in the quarantine is structure. And so when I got my life journal, I was like, I'm going to sit down and actually do this thing. And it actually is really great. I've only been using it a few days, but I love it. All right. Like I said, I'm your host, Cameron, joining me from Loverland, Virginia, Jesse Carey. Hello, hello. From Austin, Texas, author and podcaster, Jamie Ivey. Hey, guys. And from Nashville, Tennessee, uh, producer, entrepreneur, artist, MC, Derek Miner. <laughs> <Hey. laughs> we switched it up to a new what one. one. Who is yeah. that one? That's
2: <laughs> <laughs> a new one. I don't know. It Dude, just came out. Just workshopping. Just, just workshopping. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I, 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 I would to switch it up from the what up, though. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you got to switch it up. You got you know yeah. to If
1: you don't, if the concrete sets, then you're stuck for years with the same thing. I mean, me, man, I'm like an autopilot. It's just like habit, muscle memory, saying the same phrases. But uh, yeah, you got to mix it up early, and then you can
2: keep it fresh. I like that. Yeah, you know, I can keep it fresh. You know what I'm saying? Like my my married life. You know, sometimes <laughs> I just walk in. You know what I'm saying? With a with a super soaker and just squirt my wife in the face with one, just for no, <laughs> no you reason. No, do it's like, not. Wow. No, I absolutely don't. I do, don't at all. She's black and her hair would... I was going to say, I would not recommend that. would me. So, I'm just lying for TV. I, I,
3: I've realized, like, I'm a, I am love pranking people. Well, I mean, that should be pretty evident in, to, to anyone who's listening to the show. Like, I get a lot of enjoyment. I've realized that pranking spouses doesn't usually work out well. Like, usually they don't. Even if they find the humor in it, it's like, then they're just walking on eggshells. Like, are you... Is it? When is the next prank coming? It's just... This is... If this is marriage advice from someone who does not give very much marriage advice. <laughs> <laughs> if you come up with a great prank idea, don't prank your spouse. Prank That's somebody else. Prank a neighbor or a friend. Have you seen,
1: like, the, during the quarantine, there was, like, viral TikTok videos of people, like, filming themselves throwing slices of cheese on another person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 I saw videos of a husband doing that to his wife, and she got so mad by the end of it. I'm like, "What is your end game here?" Like, <laughs> exactly.
2: That, 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 that's to, my, here. here's my to thing: to not what? have sex. That was the end game. You're
3: throwing <laughs> cheese on your wife; she
2: doesn't want it. It's <laughs> okay. the end game. <laughs>
3: I, like I said, I consider myself a pretty good-humored person that is is difficult to get riled. But if I'm just sitting there, like let's just say I'm on the couch on the laptop, just doing whatever, and a piece of cheese hits me in the face, right? Just, just (laughs) unlike just at the least possible expected time. I would just look at me like, are you serious right now? Like, is, is that a piece of cheese stuck to my face? Why? Well, one, you're wasting cheese. I, this house goes through a tremendous amount of cheese. And that piece, no one's going to want to eat that. It's on my face. Now I'm going to feel obligated to eat the cheese because I'm not going to throw it away. But it's nasty face cheese, even though it's my face. Let's just not do the cheese thing. Like, you know, like there are other funny things that we can do with a, a slice of cheese if we want to just amuse ourselves with it, you know?
1: Well, we have a great show coming up for you today. Uh coming up later, we talked to Need to Breathe. They have a brand new album coming out August 28th and you will get your first look at it here on the show. Also, at the end of the show, we are Now this is like this is we're going deep, y'all. We have a British astrobiologist and minister coming up. His name is Lucas Mix and he is an expert on UFOs. In the intersection of theology and science. Okay. Oh, Jesse, yeah. this is
3: for you. This tall, is so, yes. Hey, this is so so exciting because I was actually me and you know, me and uh, Huckabee, me and Tyler were, were texting this morning. He's like, Hey man, what's your you know, do you know what your slice is today? And I was like, dude, and I I'm just gonna give a foreshadowing here. Wow. It's uh, I, I honestly, I'm so excited about this slice. I really just want to jump right to it, but we'll wait. But let's just say it will provide some context for the interview that's coming yeah. up. Yeah, and, this is the and first Tyler time I've already. Tyler and I have already talked about this, and he's like, "Okay, he's he's like, you're gonna save me a lot of the setup if you can just do." It. I'm very excited about this interview and my slice coming up.
1: Yeah, so this is the first time in 15 years of podcasting that we actually are going to have a slice set up the next segment. So. Mm. It's just wonderful how it works out. But when we when we were planning out the uh, episode, it was like the idea of you know we usually have like a list guests, big authors, artists, and uh, just. And Tyler was like, you know, I'm talking to this. Christian astrobiologist about UFOs next week. I was like, uh, he's on the podcast. I mean, there's like, <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> absolutely,
3: absolutely
1: he is. Like,
3: uh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, I got some hot takes and I'm just going to save it because I'm going to, I'm going to wait for slices, but uh, I'm very, uh, you know, eager to discuss this topic.
1: All right. Well, moving the show along, it is time for.
4: It's the, list, the list. It's Sizzling.
1: Hot List, where we bring on Relevant Senior Editor Tyler Huckabee to bring us a few items that we've been covering over at RelevantMagazine.com this week. Well, I know you got a packed lineup today, so take it away.
4: Alright, so the first thing we're going to talk about this week is the pandemic, which is still going on, because we have had some interesting updates that might give us, uh, here in the lay, a little bit of insight into the direction things might be going with COVID-19, especially as it relates to us here in the U.S. And I want to start by talking a little bit about what's going on in Tinseltown, out there in Hollywood. So, most movies Hollywood. have delayed. The Hollywood, the crazy lefties out in Hollywood, even they are are running scared from this thing. So, they so most wait those in the
3: lamestream media. <laughs> oh, I'm <all> <laughs> Let me just
2: take my hydroxychloroquine, and you can continue. <laughs> Stop, bro. You about to have the comments late. I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> so
4: most major temple releases in 2020, uh, like Marvel's Black Widow, uh, Disney's Star Wars movies, the Fast and the Furious franchise, they have all delayed and have not really announced a, a firm new release date yet. Star Wars says it doesn't have plan on having any new releases until 2023, at least. Black Widow, which is done in the can, was supposed to be out already. is just collecting dust right now that nobody knows when that one's going to come out. Fast and the Furious right now, tentatively targeting a 2021 release date, but even that is up in the air. One big exception to all of this is Warner Brothers Tenet. Directed by Christopher Nolan. Hugely anticipated. People are really excited about this movie, but we don't know when it's going to come out now. They are now on their third attempt at a firm launch day. Right now, targeting Labor Day weekend uh, here in the U.S. Over in Europe, where things are a little bit safer, uh, it's going to get a little bit wider release. But here, it, it, it sort of surprises me that WB feels this confident that uh, people are going to feel safe going to a movie theater again mm. in just a couple of weeks. Here, like this is Labor Day is coming right up, and I I don't know how many movie theaters really even feel safe going. In. I'm sure there's some Christopher Nolan diehard. I want to see what this movie's about, but I don't want to see it. That badly, personally. Uh, so we're going to... We'll, well, I would not be surprised if that ends up changing.
5: No, listen, y'all. This is crazy. And I hope no one thinks bad about me and my family. But my son got his first job this summer. Uh-oh. And guess where it is?
1: Draft House Cinema. Yeah, It's at our
5: movie theater.
2: <laughs> is that the $5 college theater, and, Jesse? So it's at the 50 movie, 50 movie theater. It's a really
5: nice movie theater. And he was at work the other day, and he's like, I need you to come get me early. We just got shut down. And like something happened. They didn't meet a criteria, but I dropped him off today. I can't believe the movie theater is hiring right now. <laughs> <laughs> He can, Yes, he got this all this job today. He's his work in delivering drinks and popcorn. That's his duty today. And they all wear masks. And I asked him, he said they sanitize the movie theater after every show. I don't know exactly what that means. But you could go see Karate Kid, Zootopia, Avengers, Invisible oh, man. man. They just have these random movies that you could go see. And I'm dying to go to a oh, movie. Sure. I, like, that's sure. what I miss I, so much. I'm dying
3: to see, particularly, to see, I mean, uh, you know, Tyler, you know, a big Christopher Nolan sure. fan, like, you know, but and and from my understanding, you know, Tenet has actually moved the release date they, they, several times backed by several right. weeks and, yeah. and almost like teasing fans. But, uh, you know, millions I, of dollars I, you they've know, dumped into these new yeah. marketing campaigns that, that it, are it, useless. And I was listening to, there's a, there's a podcast called The Big Picture that is on the Ringer Network where they have some kind of inside track on on Warner Brothers and their relationship with Christopher Nolan. And I guess Christopher Nolan, he, well, one, he, he is sort of an auteur. Uh, and he's sort of a brand of his own. And is feels extremely strongly that all his films should be experienced in a movie theater. You know, like The Dark Knight's a great example. He was shot on mm. To a, a, a massive additional expense, uh, you know, special cameras that could only be viewed with certain types of projectors on certain types of screens that were only available in certain parts of the country. But he felt like artistically that was the move to make. So, from my understanding, with Tennant is he wants to get it out as soon as possible, and he sees himself as you know potentially the the person that will save the theater industry because this could be one of the uh. the first movies that people are willing to. Take some sort of calculated risk to go see. That's not a risk. I've seen every Chris Nolan movie. I love it. I there hasn't been one movie I've not walked out and been like that was awesome. But I don't think it's worth risking. Not you know, for I, not, not yet. I, I I think I I think there are probably mm, things mm. that can be put into place to make it safe, but. I I don't know. I really want to go to the movies too, but I don't I don't know when I'll feel totally comfortable with it.
1: You know, Mm
4: -hmm. I do want to support the Ivy family's young entrepreneurs. (laughs) uh, I I, think it's
3: it's awesome
1: that yeah. If anything's going to get me to come out to the theaters, it's Zootopia. (laughs) Really
3: <laughs> what, right yeah. i know on the big Absolutely. screen there yeah, it is it's, dude some people are just desperate enough like movie. it was raining here at one point over the weekend really hard and so you can't go outside and you, you can't there's nowhere to go you know it's not like hey take the kids we're gonna go to the mall it's like everyone's just sitting in the house i'm like today's one of those days where i'd be worth risking <laughs> Like dude, <laughs> just this just whole family <laughs> just go sit in a quiet theater for a while you i know? went to
1: disney mm-hmm. over the weekend with cohen so Get gotta edit
3: it. that out we can't We've got to edit that. We're gonna the hate
4: mail.
1: Dude, no, it's like it was the best day and the safest thing ever. It was because insane. there were no lines? First of all, they limited it to 15% of the normal capacity. So they weren't running the trams because everybody parked by the front door. I mean, you just walked right up. There were no lines. We literally would go on a ride, get off, and go right back on it because you just walk right back on. There's no lines. They had, everybody had mass. Uh, all the lines were marked with six foot social distancing. And if, and there were dividers and stuff like that. So you got nowhere near anybody. When we got on the ride, we were the only two people on our car. Like it wasn't like they were just staggering rows. It was like, on the ride vehicle you're the only one you know and mm. then for food and stuff everything was mobile ordering so you had to if you just wanted a coke or you wanted a sandwich you had to do it on the app and then it was waiting for you so you didn't talk to anybody you didn't swipe a credit card like it, it literally was like the safest day it was wonderful this is this is why i'm wondering about if i go back to a texas game what it's going to be like yeah. but here's the thing that i'm wondering about the economics right so disney is obviously operating at 15% of the revenue they normally would have that's better than zero but it's not sustainable and so I'm looking at Christopher Nolan the, you know like if they did open a theater it's going to be limited capacity they're going to have a fraction of their yeah. bodies that they normally would have so therefore do the math a fraction of the revenue why bother yeah. I would just yeah. wait until they can go to 100% capacity yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, Caden yeah. Said there's
5: like four people in each
2: movie
1: the, uh, yeah. yeah
2: but I guess the thing is like if this is uh, how long do you wait though you know right. especially because It doesn't seem like, I mean, politically, there's a lot of energy towards giving us a significant amount more money. And then if you're a movie theater, I mean, you're not going to get much money at all. So you're kind of off on your own. So I get the idea of chancing it. I just don't know if it's going to work. You know, if if you're a business, you're thinking, man, well, 15 percent is better than zero percent. But. But then, you, then there's know. all
3: the yeah all, all those operational costs and that, and that's what makes it uh, a thing like tenant so uh, complicated is because you know how studios actually set the budgets for these films and a lot of times the production budgets are you know almost match one for one with the marketing budget so Mm. if you're watching so if they say hey uh, you know I'm pulling a number out of the sky I don't know what the production budget but it's probably in the neighborhood of 120 150 million dollars we're talking to Christopher Nolan here Uh, that's going to be an additional 100 million just for marketing so Mm. the way a studio comes up with that number it's always reverse engineered right Mm -hmm. so if it's like a kid's movie they throw in like merch Merchandise and licensing and that mm-hmm. kind of thing into the equation. So you know, even if we don't sell the movie tickets, we know we'll sell enough toys and lunch boxes or whatever for you know the new Moana or whatever. But with a movie like Christopher Nolan, where there isn't merchandise, isn't part of the equation. You know, the, it it really is reverse engineered from okay, what is the margin we need to make as a studio, and then how many at the end of the day, butts and seats does that equate to on the first three weeks that it's out? And if we don't hit those numbers we won't make up the budget and if we and if we don't make up the budget on a Christopher Nolan movie we're talking writing down you know 60 to 100 million dollars in losses this year. I mean it's a huge gamble to release it early, you know. Have
1: you seen you talking about like certain industries and government support <laughs> come back. Have you seen the bill? A couple of uh senators are trying to push a bill specifically to help the live music venue industry because there's no path back for them. And so many of those nah. independent venues just won't be able to make it. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, it's a save our music kind of legislative campaign that they're trying to push through. But like, think about that. I mean, at least with a the movie theater, social distancing can be implemented in the physical seats, right? You People could feel a sense of safety at right. some level. But live music... I'm standing there with a hundred other people. if somebody done if somebody comes up and crowds me, like what like there's just not the ability to control the environment. It's going to be tough for live music to come back, like. It- like, yeah. when? When is Thanks. that? Next Thanks, summer?
2: Cameron. I'm just Thanks, saying. Cameron. I think about you, man. I think about your industry.
1: It's <laughs> yeah, Derek, I'll go to, bro, I'll like... I'll go to a show. You need yeah, the time
4: I'll risk, risk you, it Derek. for you, Derek. I'll be there. But, but, I, but I would prefer you
3: perform before a showing of Tenet. Well, my shows
2: <laughs> are madhouses. Like, there's no way that you're going to have a Derek Minor show at social distance. Like, that's right. literally what makes the show the show. Yeah. Right. Is there's, there's you know... 150 people just in a small space going crazy or you know or if it's a you know it's it's like like I like having those grunts. like my joints are almost like punk rock like just throw people on crowd surfing and all of that. that that's what makes the show fun when you get a freaking tooth knocked out like that's not going to happen during COVID-19 and we got plastic glass between each person like I'm I'm not looking forward to I mean look baseball we
5: tried and now look what's happening I mean (laughs) it's
1: true 72 hours after baseball starts there's an outbreak and they're talking about shutting down the whole year I
3: will I will say artistic and this is not uh, this is not an original take I've, I've read this a couple places and Tyler you've probably seen this out there too but you know the the Surprise! Taylor Swift album that she dropped with uh, Bryce Dresner from The National, uh, Jack Antonoff and Bony there. Bon you know, bon I, I, I'm sure you know a lot of listeners were able to check that out too. It's a very quiet album, but really, really great. But the the takes that I was kind of reading is like, look, if it wasn't for the pandemic and no stadium shows, we probably would have never got this album because mm. Taylor Swift, as great of a, an artist as she is, and 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 I'm not this is any knock on her artistic integrity, but she writes music. Music for stadium tours, right? Right. Like this is not, yeah, this folklore, her album is not an album that anyone would want to hear a stadium show in. It's an intimate, quiet Mm -hmm. album. All the songs build to nothing. You know what I mean? There is no Taylor Swift anthem. And if it wasn't for something like the pandemic, we, we might not have, you know, th- this album might not exist because this is an album that she could tour, but because for the foreseeable future, especially stadium shows, you know, I think there might be a chance that nightclubs and things can try to go under the radar, but there's no way people are going to stadium shows. You know, it, I, I think it, it, it kind of provided an artistic window for, for at least that album to, to to kind of come together, but it will be interested to see, and Derek, I'm interested in your perspective too, on how artists are going to adapt if kind of live touring is is scaled back for a while. You know, I mean, do you see like virtual shows and things like that in, in, in the future, Derek?
2: Man, I hate to be a doom and gloom type guy, but so the middle class of artists in the music industry was already being squashed out by streaming, like that, because mm-hmm. where streaming is at now, to even obviously you're only making like half a penny per stream, and so the the main thing is playlists, but now it's all majors on any playlist that move the needle, so the working class artists that was the thing it's like okay I'll put my stuff out and I don't have to get on a playlist but my shows will bring people to my platform or whatever I I think you're gonna see a lot of a lot of artists pivot in that middle in that middle lane because it's not many artists like for myself I've Like right now I'm working on like lo-fi music And I mix and master stuff for people But what about the guy that's just like I'm just a guitar lead singer That's what I do That guy's in trouble Because Mm. And and, and even not even that guy But or the guy that's like I signed an awful record deal That Mm. I'm not making any money off the albums anyway But I get so much money from touring I don't care That guy's in trouble too So if something doesn't happen you're going to see a lot of pivots, but you're also going to, see, I think you're going to see other artists that you may have never seen rise, the ones that are able to make social media work for them. But I, I just don't really see that for the the common artist. though. It's going to be
1: interesting in 2021 to see, it's like TV, like, the stu- like this year is affecting next year's television releases. This year is affecting next year's movie releases. This year is affecting music as well. I mean, like, I'm just kind of thinking like, Right now we are, they are releasing stuff made nine months ago, you know, six months Mm ago, there's going to be a gap of a lack of entertainment, (laughs) you know, like coming up in the next year because of the season we're in now. And like you said, how many independent artists and middle-class artists are going to be able to kind of make it all the way through? I mean, that's a it's a long road until things get back long to normal. road. Yeah. And then I don't know
2: if people think about this, but who's going to get premium access to the small to medium venues? Mm-hmm. It's going to be the big artists mm-hmm. like maybe a Taylor Swift that says, hey, I'm going to do this intimate show at at this, uh, you know, 1500 seat venue. It's not going to be the middle, like the artists that's lower or middle class that would normally get that that venue. It's going to be the big artists that are scaling their shows down. So then that's going to even further stamp out that that, yeah. you know, that artist, which I feel like that's where some of the best music is made, you know, it, with within those types of artists. So I don't know. It's, it's, it's going to be interesting.
4: Oh, well, after that a little cheerful update,
3: <laughs> <laughs> what else you got,
4: Tyler? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so 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 obviously we're headed towards not only not only health but financial, economic, and even artistic ruin in the very near future.
3: <laughs> but I don't know if you guys heard about this. It turns out, honeybees are in trouble. Here's the news. I
4: did want to. And, uh, and this is this was kind of a, a ongoing story that appears to have at least kind of wrapped up uh, towards the end of last week. So we'll we'll try to get as much of it uh, together as we can. So uh, I want to talk. There, there's an organization group that has done a lot of great work that we're big fans of. Is Bread for the World, led relatively recently uh, by a new, coming under new leadership with Eugene Cho. Uh, on their board, of representatives is a guy by the name of Ted Yoho. He's a rep- Representative down there in Florida, and he is the oh. gentleman who was overheard by a reporter from the Hill using a vulgar sexist slur that we cannot say on this particular podcast. Using that against Representative Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, uh, you probably saw some of the news about this that got passed around last week. But uh, in short,
1: well, she she responded to it on the on the yeah. con- congressional floor. And and, she did, yeah, and
4: yeah, yeah, she did. Uh, in, in short, it, it sounds like. You Yoho uh, came up to AOC on the steps of the house, said she was out of her freaking mind for some comments she had made that said that poverty might be a factor in increasing crime rates in New York City. Uh, She told him that he was being rude, and then he used this uh, this slur against her. Now, initially, and this is where things get kind of interesting. Yoho denied the report. Uh, He said he is the father of two daughters, and that makes him very cognizant of the language he uses around women. His word there. Uh, He did did say he was sorry if. his words were construed that way but said quote I cannot apologize for my passion or for loving my God and my family and my country mm-hmm. um, so that was his just explanation of, of what not happened not you Tyler but
1: this
2: <laughs> Ted U-hoo or whatever his yeah. name is like, just, but just it was confirmed up.
5: that he actually said it right I mean a, yeah. a reporter
4: heard well, him say it So he has not yet he has not said yes this is what I said but like you said Cameron um, so he said, so he denied it, and then uh, AOC went to the House floor to uh, after his, uh, his non-apology. And then, Clark, I sent over a clip of the speech that she gave there. Would you mind pulling that up?
0: What I am here to say is that this harm that Mr. Yoho levied, it tried to levy, against me was not just an incident directed at me. But when you do that to any woman, what Mr. Yoho did was give permission to other men to do that to his daughters. He gave, in using that language in front of the press, he gave permission to use that language against his wife, his daughters, women in his community. And I am here to stand up to say that is not acceptable.
4: Good for her. It's That's a, it, me because that speech was fire. Show. She's she's it's a it's an excellent speech and I don't think you have to necessarily agree with all of her politics to to find the speech that she gave pretty moving. The whole thing is posted over irrelevant and I would encourage you to take a few minutes out of your day to go check that out. Uh, so following that, the Bread for the World did release a statement saying so, they were concerned they reaching out. I think
1: buried in all that oh, is the fact that Yoho is a board member of this Christian nonprofit yeah. Bread for the World. Right. So Former, that came he out. resigned. Yeah, that yeah. came out. Yeah,
4: right. So after that, Bread for the World did release a statement uh, that they, they sent to us saying they were concerned. They were reaching out to Representative Yoho uh, to get more details about it. And then uh, at the end of at the beginning of this week, they announced that he had been removed from the board. Uh, he They said that uh, the resignation came out of a desire to, quote, affirm our commitment to coming alongside women and people of color nationally and globally as they continue to lead us to a more racially inclusive and equitable world. A uh, statement went on to say, during this critical time in our nation in which millions depend on U.S. government leadership and improved public policies that center on those most impacted by the COVID-19 crisis, it is our hope and prayer that government leaders will find the moral courage and political will to foster healing and civil dialogue that leads to real structural change in our country and globally. I, I thought that was a quite a good statement and not to be honest, not something that I really expected from that. They went farther than I thought they did. And I would say a uh, good on the remaining board members there and Eugene Cho for, uh, for holding themselves to a high moral stand. well, <laughs> to a relatively high moral standard, <laughs> when, let's be honest. It here, I,
1: but it is, but it's more than I expected. Honestly, I same. I mean, I, we've seen mm-hmm. this happen in the past where like, it's like the organization just tries to wait out the news cycle, you know, like give it a week or so people won't be so nah. inflamed they'll forget it'll go back to normal and they don't they don't act and so bread for the world to their credit took took immediate action and and corrected the situation so good for them
4: probably helped a little bit that uh, Eugene Cho recently released a book called thou shalt not <laughs> be a jerk about how to engage in civil
3: dialogue with people you disagree with politically <laughs> that's amazing I I, I I just appreciate that you know like after he gives like a non apology he's just like by the way and then says he won't apologize for something no one is asking him to apologize for, just so you know, I won't apologize for my passion for America or my God. God. And like I, I like if I get pulled over for speedy, I'm gonna be like, oh, officer, I just want to let you know something.
2: I'm not gonna apologize for my passion
3: for America or God. So I but think it, we it, cleared it, this up here. It reminds I me of the
2: guy with the uh that didn't want to kneel because he only kneels to God, you know, the the baseball oh, player yeah. or whatever. It's it's like Bro, nobody asked you to bow down and worship anything. Did you not take a knee when you played Pop Warner football and you were running the clock out? Did you not take a knee when you proposed to your wife? Like, did you not take a a knee to tie your shoe? Fool. Nobody asking you (laughs) to to (laughs) turn your back on God. This isn't a Shadrach, Meshach, and (laughs) Abednego situation. Yeah. You're trying yeah. to make it seem like you are in the fiery furnace and the Black Lives Matter God is like, you either worship <laughs> me or you worship <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like You just sound dumb. Yeah. Next right, time,
3: just next stop. time you do something. Next time, any listener does something wrong at work and their bosses or manager are getting on them, you're like, "Listen, <laughs> I just want you to know, I'm not going to apologize for my passion for America. So if that's what this is, <laughs> if that's what this is, I'll send them out memo out in the next font, the right font next time. But I'm just letting you know, passion for America is off the table. Are we clear? Yeah.
4: I'm sorry if my getting the spreadsheets to you too late was construed as me being behind deadline, <laughs> quote unquote. But
3: just so you know, but just so you know, this isn't right. have to my passion for America, does it? Because I will not <laughs> <That's> apologize, <laughs> sir or ma'am.
2: Goodbye, Representative Yolo. Bro, you're, out you're out of here.
1: Bro. <laughs> All right. Well, that'll do it for this week's.
4: It's the
1: the it's sizzling. for more content like that check out Tyler's daily podcast relevant daily it's about 10 minutes where we are bringing you what you need to know at the intersection of faith and culture all right stay tuned up next it's need to breathe so hey Are listening to our next guest, Need to Breathe, with their new single Hang On? Well, this episode is also brought to you by HelloFresh. You can get fresh, pre-measured ingredients and mouthwatering seasonal recipes delivered right to your door with HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. HelloFresh lets you skip those trips to the grocery store and makes home cooking fun, easy, and affordable. You can save time and stress effortlessly. HelloFresh offers contactless delivery to your doorstep for easy home cooking with the family, and it cuts out stressful meal planning and grocery store trips. They also can help you eat more sustainably. Pre-proportioned ingredients mean there's less prep for you and less food waste. And the packaging HelloFresh is in is made almost entirely of recyclable or already recycled content. HelloFresh has been incredibly delicious and convenient for me. I make it. Have for years. Love HelloFresh. Uh, And they make it easy and affordable for everyone. Go to hellofresh.com slash relevant 80 and use the code relevant 80 to get a total of $80 off, including free shipping on your first box. Additional restrictions apply. Please visit hellofresh.com slash relevant 80 for more details. Well, Need to Breathe is a band from Southern California who's been hitting us with great music since the 2000s. If you want to go deep in the relevant podcast archives, there's 813 episodes. Uh, I don't know exactly where it was, but I remember where we were, but this brand new band that was signed to Atlantic Records came through the relevant podcast studio when we were under the ramp and had no air conditioning and they played us uh, some songs from their uh, debut album here on the Relevant Podcast. You should go check it out. It was like, okay, they're going to be good. I don't think we realized how big they would get, but we knew that they were good. Well, our very own Tyler Huckabee sat down with one of the band members, Bear Reinhardt, to talk about their upcoming new album coming out August 28th, Life on the Road, and working through your mental health through songwriting. Here's part of our conversation with Bear Reinhardt from Need to Breathe.
6: we've had to like move a lot of the single stuff it's like there's just so much going on in the world beyond you know, the pandemic stuff that it's it's like, man, to be sensitive during this time. And, you know, when you're putting records out, you've decided what's supposed to happen months from now. Um, and then of course, like two days before some major event happens, it's like, Oh no, we got to, you know, somehow move this around or slot it differently. So it's been cool. you know, to feel like the music is more reactionary to the world as opposed to just like, Oh, we're just, you know, I mean, I've never had a conversation. I don't think where, um, you know you're talking about songs to play it out and we're like this is a timely song for now you know as, as much as i have for this it feels like kind of moved our whole release thing around what's happening in the world which is interesting we're in for nasty weather and i'll ride it out with you we won't be riding highs and lows like time Just through. We've tried to avoid being like, oh, I'm trying to think of the right word, disrespectful to the way certain people believe just because we wanted to, you know, just because I was like, well, this is like my prerogative. So, you know, how do you, when you make set lists, you know, I, we never wanted to be that band it was like, didn't play the hits. You know, it's like, I just didn't understand that because I didn't like that when bands were like that. So I don't want to be like that. So... Um, there's an element to that that I think that we try to adhere to when we're thinking about it, but at the same time, you can't worry about offending people. I think I think it just I mean, even on our deal, it's like if we don't do it, we offend people. If we do it, we offend people. And you know, I'm I really in some ways am embarrassed about you know sort of how these responses go, especially online. I mean, I know it's such a small percentage of our audience, but like I mean, we can put one little thing up you know it's not even this crazy you know we put the black box up on the day you know the record whatever which is not that much we donated some money to causes that we felt like you know we're in line with what we believe and and uh and then they like still there's like branched off conversations right now you know that are very like racially charged going on on our threads um and that's obviously the last thing we want which i hate that part i hate the sort of divisive part of like so anyway we're 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 wandering through it i think um like everybody else is trying to trying to do the right thing and listen and learn and and um and also try to lead while I'm on this road you take my hands what I went through in the last couple of years was this personal work, you know, and I think a lot of that played into how I wrote and I don't think you ever really arrive at it. I think it's more, you know, when I get that feeling of panic, you know, or that feeling of like when I walk into a room and I'm like, man, I'm the worst. I don't, I don't belong in here. You know, Um, I have more tools to fight that, if that makes sense. You know, I feel like for me, I'm always thinking kind of like three steps down the road, and in music, I just feel like you can't do that. You have to be such you have to be such a kid in a way. And and so I think I allowed myself to be like that. I had a counselor ask me, you know, when do you think you're your best in life? You know, and I was like, Well, on stage at times, and this doesn't happen all the time, but there's times when you kind of lose where you are. It's like I'm not really not my feet aren't really touching the ground. I don't know what song we're in. I don't know, you know what I mean? You're just in that moment go back and watch it and i'm like i can't believe i was on cruise control on that you know you're in the flow or whatever you want to call it and he was like well why aren't you like that more often and i was like okay that's something i got to work on for the next 10 years yeah when you lose when you rise when you don't feel strong enough everybody needs to pick me up Don't lose hope, it me, be all right You can count on me Yeah, you can count on me When you It's neat to read this, all the songs are songs about like the redemption story It's just very few of them are about the end part it's all the mess in between you know i'm a big retroroar fan he's like there's as much grace in the death as there is the resurrection right that like so we're mostly talking about death you know it's like but that in a good positive way it's just um i think that's kind of where our band lands and and that's been comforting to me i've always felt like i didn't want to put a bow on it or figure it out for everybody or teach people with whatever but i think kind of understanding like this there is a path that we're on or journey that we're on and and need to be just talks about this part you know like we want to walk with you through you know that element have a conversation with you in that in that rough time you can-
1: That was Need to Breathe. Make sure to check out their new album, Out of Body, when it releases August 28th. And check out more of that conversation at relevantmagazine.com. Stay tuned. Up next, with Slices. to Fern the song is quicksand it's not Fern from Social Club Misfits it's if I mean you just heard it it's very clearly not Fern from Social Club Misfits what? it's not
2: it's lowercase it's lowercase what a different lane
1: man lowercase f-e-r-n All right. Uh, This week's podcast is also brought to you by American Awakening. Uh, A healthy and united America is truly possible, and it starts with us. And his new book, John Kingston, who you heard here on the podcast last week, uh, draws on wisdom from history, science, faith, and culture, along with his own experiences, to offer eight principles for discovering purpose, meaning, and true community. American Awakening, Eight Principles to Restore the Soul of America by John Kingston is available everywhere books are sold right now. Just came out. Visit AmericanAwakening.us for more info. Okay, it's time for... Slices! All right, now, Jesse, I know what you're about to bring is actually going to set up our next segment, but you're going first, like always, because I'm a creature of habit. So what do you have, Jesse? Jesse?
3: All right, so obviously there's a lot going on in the world that has consumed our news cycle for very, very good reasons. You know, I think it's it's the the press has rightfully dedicated a lot of time and discussion to uh you know, kind of the, the uh, you know, protests and civil unrest around the country and highlighting racial injustice. Uh you know, the news about a global pandemic has also been a major thing in the news cycle. Both of those I think are worthy of a lot of public attention and discussion. But there has been another major story that I think, you know, could potentially in the scope of human history, not just in the in the scope of kind of the, you know, things that are happening kind of in the moment and, and, and social issues in the United States, that could be looked at as pretty significant, that has really flown under the radar. Um, and I wanted to discuss some developments in the story that actually unfolded this week. And it, the, some of the revelations and, and the things that I'm going to talk about uh, uh, right now uh, are so so mind blowing that I can't, <laughs> that I honestly can't believe that this isn't leading a lot of news discussion. I'm not saying it should take away from any any other coverage, but right. I do think it, this is worthy of something that people should be aware it of. It should
1: have a seat at the table. It should at least be a, <laughs> people
3: should be aware this is happening so uh, uh back in June a bill was introduced to lawmakers uh, that would make some disclosures of a a Senate Intelligence Committee um, uh, 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 subgroup actually uh, you know have to release some information to the public um, and the in, the intelligence authorization Act actually calls for these revelations to be made uh, by the fiscal uh, deadline in 2021 so at the end of the fiscal fiscal year in 2021, these revelations will have to be made official. Um, Now, what are these revelations about? Well, it's about a a secret group within the United States government that has been operating in plain sight for decades now on uh, what they call unidentified aerial phenomenon. So, the reason why this kind of has flown under the radar a little bit is because uh, a lot of people thought that this group was no longer operational. It made some headlines years ago when it was disclosed that Senator Harry Reid had set aside uh, it, it was somewhere in the neighborhood of ten million dollars um, in, in the budget for a group within within the government to study what they're calling like I said unidentified aerial phenomenon um, now the 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 kind of after this was discovered because this wasn't a classified group but the way that they uh, they were operating was like I said essentially hiding in plain sight they, they named the allocation for the money something kind of ambiguous so no one really worried about it until some enterprising reporters said hey what's this extra $20 million actually going to here. (laughs) Now, the New York Times ran a story this week. So, what I'm telling you, what I'm about to bring this week is not from some fringe uh, uh, website that may or may not uh, stumble upon some deep Reddit rabbit hole (laughs) sometimes on the dark web. This is from the New York Times. Uh, So, they released a story this week that talks about how lawmakers are pushing them to disclose what they found, and those disclosures should come by 2021. Now, in the report, they talked to a lot of people including a contractor who's an astrophysicist. OK, so the government contracted an astrophysicist to examine some of the findings of this group. And here's what he told the New York Times. Uh, this comes from a, a, a Fox story about this report. And then I'll read something from the New York Times. But it says a government contractor told the Times that he gave a classified briefing to the Department of Defense in March. OK, this is recent. This is in, in March in, of
5: 2020. Yes,
3: yeah. it, it, this year, right. describing ret- Retrievals from, and this is his quote, off-world vehicles not made on this earth. Mm. Okay. 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 This wasn't is, a
5: Tesla or something. Is that, that
3: addu- abduction? <laughs> is what he's talking about? So, so his name is Eric W. Davis. And now I'm going to read from the New York Times report. Again. This is the New York Times. <laughs> Eric W. Davis, an astrophysicist who worked as a subcontractor and then a consultant for the Pentagon for the UFO for the Pentagon UFO program since 2007, said in some cases examination of the material materials had failed to determine their source and led them to conclude we couldn't make it ourselves. That's a quote. The constraints on discussing classified programs and the ambiguity ambiguity of information cited in unclassified slides from the briefing have put officials who have studied UFO. Those in the position of stating their views without presenting hard evidence, Mister Na- Mister Davis, who now works for Aerospace Corporation, a defense contractor, said he gave a classified briefing to the Defense Department. And this is where he made the comment on of off-world vehicles. Um, Harry Reid, who is uh, you know he's a, a lawmaker, former you know uh, uh, was he Speaker of the House, uh, Senate, no, he's Senate Majority Leader, uh, Harry Reid, uh, who's who's the, he's the one who initially kind of earmarked that. $20 million. Uh, he, this, is, this is from the New York Times. Uh, H- Harry Reid said, More should be made public to clarify what is known and what is not known. It is extremely important that information about the discovery of physical materials or retrieved craft come out. They're conceding that they have a retrieved craft with materials of no known terrestrial origin. These are the greatest minds in, in the defense and in, in science saying we can't explain how this material was made. We have retrieved the wreckage of a craft with technology that we don't understand. This story is totally flying under the radar for reasons that I don't understand. Like this should be, everyone should be like, guys, They're telling us they found a UFO and they're going to give us the details next year. They're putting all. They just hired this astrophysicist to explain it to them. It's coming out next year. We should all be stoked about this. How is nobody caring or talking? (laughs) Are you guys? Do you guys share my enthusiasm and my my mind is totally like I've always I've always had my thoughts about this topic. You guys know that, but this is government officials conceding. Guys, we're going to have to like we're pressuring this department. We're gonna we're gonna lay out some cards on the table next year. Is this? is is anyone else think this is not crazy am I the only one
5: I've already told you that this stuff stresses me out and I don't have enough room in my brain to think about UFOs and everything else I have to think about and so I'm just gonna Jesse you just tell me everything I need to know and that's all I need to hear I cannot go down researching where did they find this material like so, Phoenix so, Seattle where, where are they finding this so,
3: so a lot of those details are classified. classified and but the the basically what's happening right now is you know this shadow group within inside the Defense Department has been operating for decades but because of like I said so partly because of enterprising uh, journalists partly because of leaks that were initially illegal but the Air Force eventually conceded were authentic of you know these fighter jet pilots. Pilots encountering strange yeah. crafts in the sky, and uh, because the the way that this group chose to operate wasn't in secret, they figured that the best way to keep themselves secret, like I said, was to be operating in plain sight. All that, te- all those strategies are now catching up to the government because what they realize now is we have to disclose something because the the cat's sort of out of the bag here. So that's when that's why Harry Reid, who's been fascinated with this topic for a long time, and actually allocated some money to try to find out more, uh, helped kind of push this through so that now it's going to be required by 2021 for the public to get some disclosure about what's been found here.
5: When you say operate in plain sight, you mean they just have an office, but it has a weird name that nobody cares to think about or what it is, so nobody uh, asks any questions? They're <laughs> the
3: men in black. Uh,
2: you're saying yeah. that the men in black is real. Uh, I,
3: I mean, uh, Jamie, honestly, essentially, they were operating, they earmarked, uh, <laughs> they, they have a term for it in government spending. Uh, you know, basically, you ear, like, if, let's say there's like a, so here's an example. Let's say we're, we're they're going to push through a $900 million defense budget, right? And the, everything in that budget is line. Item with high tech names that you know the average lawmaker isn't going to read much less understand. If, mm-hmm. if it wasn't for an earmarked twenty million of of a giant defense budget, be someone saying, "Hey, what is this again?" Right, this probably could have flown under the radar for even more time. But the cat's out of the bag. But don't you guys think this is should be a way bigger story, or is it just me?
5: Have y'all watched the new the new T V show on Netflix with um the Office,
1: uh, Space the Force? Office- Space, space Force, force.
5: this yeah. is what this makes me think of space force,
1: like they I have gave, this whole I, you yeah. ever seen
3: it? I gave up after two episodes
1: I, so I, I I pushed all the way through and it ended with its best episode, but it still was terrible
3: but but <laughs> oh. yeah, so, so so Jamie you're you got too much on
2: on I, on I the can't this to is just too this. much I
5: can't I don't have time in my life to think about this, but Derek, you like this, don't
2: you look, man. Kanye's running for president. Diamond and Silk (laughs) are at the RNC. I don't have time to be talking about no aliens. There's more pressing matters that are in front of us than there being extraterrestrials and the United States knowing all about this and having that in their possession and probably made the cell phone, the Tesla and probably time travel and all those things. I don't care, man. I just, I need to know what Diamond and Silk are going to say <laughs> with Ted Nugent. So no, I don't have time for this. I so. I uh,
1: I've I read a pretty deep dive on this this week after I read the Times article and, and, and I haven't dug into the corners of the web that Jesse has, but you know, it's kind of like acknowledge that throughout history there's all this uh, recorded evidence of extraterrestrial encounters and you know ancient Egyptian, you know, uh records. Uh, uh some people would interpret some things that happened in the Bible as this, you know, like this just mm-hmm. goes back that is it really that odd that the that to acknowledge that they've been here for a long time and that we're not alone in the universe and you know, it's just now that we're getting some confirmation, you know, it's just like, but this shouldn't be like shocking. It's been right in front of us all this time, you know?
5: So Je- Jesse, if they like put out, a you know, somehow you got on the list. I don't know yeah. how. And they said, we're taking volunteers to go up into this spaceship that we've discovered that is going to take you to another planet to where there's, you know, all the things. Yeah, Would you
3: say yes? I mean, look, I... I I think most space travel is super lame and boring. Like <laughs> like astronaut stuff is really. But if I, if you're like, dude, you go into another world to to see what it's all about. Heck yeah, man! <laughs> like yeah, absolutely, Mm-mm. absolutely. You know, it's like the uh, I don't know if, you, if again I watch a lot of weird stuff on not just Netflix on everything um, but it's like they have this uh, uh, <laughs> this interview with this guy Bob Lazar and he kind of rose the, the documentary oh, yeah. became, I, know like, that,
2: but I know that documentary
3: he was a guest on like Joe Rogan a while ago which kind of propelled the documentary to some notoriety but essentially this guy is an engineer um, who claims that back in I think it was like the early 80s late 70s um, that the government hired him him as a consultant to go and basically work on parts of this retrieve craft that we've been working on for decades that they have engineers working independently of each other on different parts so that no one knows all the answers as part of this like wow. you know shadow campaign To, um but he was basically explaining from an engineering perspective about you know what we kind of understand about the technology and how uh you know it it, it Again, I have no idea if he's just making it all up. He, he could be, but it's certainly an, made for a compelling documentary. Um, but, you know, it, when, when you hear about the technology, how, how he describes it, like the way that the, they move in these videos that have been released seem more conceivable because they're essentially pulling. It's almost like you guys read Wrinkle in Time, I'm sure, when we were, you know, kids in school. You know, the, the concept of that book is based on, you know, Einstein's principles that space and time are a singular fabric together. Like mm. space-time, it's not space and time, it's space-time, one word. And it is a fabric that you know our universe operates within. It is a linear thing. But like in in Wrinkle in Time, if you had two points on a sheet, one at the, the footboard, one at the headboard, there's two ways to connect those two points if you wanted to travel to one end or the other. One is you could walk the whole distance of the sheet. And that's basically what modern engineering does. Just figure out ways to get you to go really fast from point A to point B, or you can bend the sheet and bring point A to point B without actually physically traveling. And uh, basically how Bob Lazar uh, describes it in this documentary is that that their crafts are able to bend gravity in a way that pulls two points of space-time together instantaneously beyond our perception. My head just exploded. i did, my, I'm just. I don't even <laughs> know what you're saying. Exploded. All the answers Death are blood. coming next year, people. All the answers.
1: Well, and all the answers are going to come in our next segment when astrobiologist and minister Lucas Nix yes. breaks it all down for us. So, and
3: and, and the, I've instructed Tyler to pull no punches in that conversation, asking the hard <laughs> questions. What? When are we going to see them aliens? That's what we want to know, man. Aliens,
5: gonna when are we going to see
2: them aliens? Run them aliens, boy. <laughs> all right. What do you have, um, Jamie?
5: Okay, so even when you're talking about that, Jesse, it makes me think of, like, I imagine like someone like Sidney Bristow. Remember Alie, uh, Alias back in the day? Like, you know, yeah. she said she's like a banker, but she's not a banker. She's like going out and, you know, kicking butt and taking names. Yeah, These guys who worked on this, wh- what do they tell their wives? I'm just going to work, but they're actually, like, digging through alien like vehicles? That's so weird to me. Uh, okay, so that leads to my story. Is Taylor Swift had an album drop this uh, last week, which uh, first of all, how do you drop and how does nothing like that leak? Does everyone sign non-disclosures or what?
1: Yeah, I mean Beyoncé does it. It's kind of the thing now. If if you want to work in the music
2: industry, you're not going to leak anything that Taylor is if you ever want a job again you're not going to leak anything. I, mean, I feel I, like yeah. there's
5: like a guy who delivers FedEx to the studio and then he yeah, sees Taylor exactly. there. And you know, like I'm just
1: Taylor always surprised. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm like, how
5: does this stuff not come out? So Taylor Swift releases her album um, last week was, I have listened to most of it um, and enjoy it. But here's the story is um, Aaron Desner, who is the guitarist for the national, he co-wrote and produced 11 of the 16 songs. So he worked, really closely with Taylor on this album. And, you know, he's having to keep it a secret because it's a secret from everyone. And he said one morning, his eight-year-old daughter just randomly out of the blue, asked his dad, just a random, simple question. Dad, do you know Taylor Swift? And he said that just the night before they had co-written a song together. And he straight up looked at his daughter and was like, nope. Don't know her. And then that was it. Because <laughs> he was dad. like, listen, my daughter is not going to leak this um, album out to the world. So he totally just straight up lied to his daughter. He's going to
1: apologize for his love for America. For, his, yeah, for, <laughs> for my Taylor Swift, for, for my, my passion God. for America. Yes. Is, that, is that what you're asking about here? <laughs> daughter? Right. Yes.
5: Right. Um, so, you know, I was actually going to ask you guys, because you guys have interviewed and you know a bunch of people. Is there anybody that you have either interviewed or been on a stage with, or just know in life that your kids would freak out about if they like, would that be a big deal to them?
1: Okay. This is honest truth back before Derek and I had just met a couple of times. We were, my son and I were driving to dinner and on the uh, Christian hip hop station that was streaming, Derek minor was on our screen. Derek and my son's a big fan of Derek minor. And we were just jamming out to Derek and Derek texted me at that moment and I just, I just like looked at my son, and I like just turned my phone so he could see the name of who just texted me. His <laughs> jaw dropped. Like <laughs> you know, Dar- I mean, it was great. So, oh, I used to. I, 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 I told Derek, Derek I was like, too. you just made me the coolest guy. You know,
3: I, I think the my, my kids are really young, and so the when um you know, Toy Story four was coming out. Uh, I guess it was last year. I had I had just done a long interview with Tony Hale, who is sporky in the movie, who plays a major. And my kids thought that was pretty cool. But the greatest thing about that interview with Tony Hale was the stuff that I didn't end up using just because, you know, it it wasn't all that relevant to the story. But uh, he told me a great anecdote, which I probably should have put it in there but he actually he he used to live in the Virginia Beach Norfolk area like back in the day. He went to school at uh, a at graduate school at Regent. And so he was telling me he was like, "Hey, do you know where that place Nauticus is?" And Nauticus is a naval museum, okay? It's mm-hmm. it's a, it's a museum about the navy and boat stuff. They have some stuff for kids there, but it's not generally like a place. It's like, "Hey, I'm just going to spend the day at the naval museum." But he got he's like, "Dude, I worked at Nauticus and I was the guy who greets people as they come in the front door like, hey, welcome to the museum. Have a great time today. And for some reason, uh, tourists who are in town to go to like Virginia Beach, like the beach, it, like something happened in how Nautilus was listed on Google and people were showing up thinking they were going to a water park. And oh, no. that <laughs> summer, he stood there. He was like family after family with towels thrown over their shoulder in no. bathing suits would no. walk <laughs> up and I had to break it to families that this is not a water park. This is a naval museum. And he's like, that was my whole summer there was basically telling people this is not a water park. And that was is like, hilarious. That's a sad job, but I can't think of a nicer person to do it than Tony oh, Hill. My gosh, you know? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh.
5: A couple, like last, whenever we had a couple years ago, uh, South by uh, Prop was in town and him and some of his guys stayed at our house because we were out of town because we leave when these things go on. And he left a drum. What is it? A shield, a drum. I don't know. Uh Drum shield. And he signed it and left it on one of my kids' beds. They still think that's like the coolest thing that's ever happened in their entire
2: (laughs) lives. Fire. All right. What do you have, Derek? Man. um, Well, this is this is actually out this might be the most rapperish gifts. I'm so ready for this. I'm ready, man. Slice ever. A man in South Florida who received four million dollars from the federal government, he didn't use it on his business. My man bought a Lambo. <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> He bought a what?
1: Lamborghini,
2: orange Lamborghini, (laughs) and he was flexing for Miami, letting everybody know he the boss. Now he got three felonies. Yeah, because you
5: can't take that money and buy a car. (laughs)
2: Listen, man, you look, you can listen. You know, I'm not advocating stealing from anyone, but you don't steal from Uncle Sam. Uncle Sam is coming for your head, buddy. So. I, I'm like I hope it was worth it. I hope the you know I hope that you know all the the Instagram photos and the models you picked up, and I hope he had the time of his <laughs> life because I mean, first he's gonna have to give the Lambo back, and crazy, go the crazy to thing is
1: that guys like that are screwing up you know the ability for the government to work with small businesses this fall yep. because. The yep. first wave of aid was rushed and there was not a lot of oversight yep. and guys were doing that. I mean, not mm-hmm. everybody, obviously, but it, stories like that did happen. <laughs> and now everybody's like paralyzed in, on Capitol Hill. Everybody's paralyzed about that happening again. And it's, yeah. I mean, it's taxpayer money being wasted. and That's so, a lot of money yep. that
5: he got too, though. Was that, that seems a little high four
2: million
1: is yeah. crazy
2: like to me i'm thinking like i'm, I'm thinking he already had a pretty yeah. decent right. business and it's probably it's he just company took car. the, took the money car. and did something Co- company, Co- company car, car. Like, yeah no, oh, fam, like, <laughs> what are you thinking is and that's fed time so fed time Ooh. you got to serve 90 oh 90%, Ooh, i didn't dude. know that so he's, going so, so, yeah. he's going to jail he's going to jail jail yeah, <laughs> yeah. Fed, yeah, fair time is not. You don't get out no good oh, behavior. It's like ninety percent that's you, you in there. So it, you know, it is the man. most
3: conspicuous Jeez. car you could possibly purchase. <laughs> like,
2: words, no one will notice. Yeah,
3: <laughs> even even Maybe if he had gone, one, yeah. even if he had said like a Maserati, you know, it's supposed to be like, hey, bi- business is good. You yeah. got a Maserati. <laughs> you know what I mean? But a, right. a Lambo is is basically a middle finger to the government. Like. Ha-ha! a lambo i did the lambo thing because a lambo you can't even pick groceries in like there's no purpose for having a lamborghini (laughs) other than the flex like that is all someone buys a lamborghini for
1: you know that's great all right well that'll do it for slices the moment is here stay tuned astrobiologist and minister lucas mix comes up next
0: was just trying to provide for her family when she heard of an amazing job opportunity away from her home in a small village in South Asia. But when she arrived, her phone was taken away and she was put into a brothel with no means of escape. But what if someone had been there to stop that from happening? Love Justice International strategically places their teams in 15 countries around the world to intercept people like Alina and prevent them from being trafficked into slavery. Love Justice stops the evil before it happens. Because even just now, while I've been talking for 60 seconds, two people have been trafficked somewhere in the world. Learn how you can help keep her free at lovejustice.com. Dot NGO slash Relevant. Don't miss out on the exclusive report for Relevant listeners that shows the impact Love Justice is making in the fight against modern day slavery. That's LoveJustice NGO slash Relevant. This ain't bad.
1: You're listening to Eve Toomer. The song is Gospel for a New Century. Reverend Lucas Mix is an astrobiologist who has taken an interest in both science and religion. For 15 years now, he's worked with the NASA Astrobiology Institute and also worked as a researcher at Harvard. We're bringing the big guns, folks. Our very own Tyler Huckabee sat down with him this week to talk about the recent UFO news, the implications that that has on Christian theology, and more at the intersection of faith and science. Here's part of our conversation with astrobiologist and Reverend Lucas Mix.
4: So you have a foot in two worlds. Your expertise uh, is is A, in theology, and B, in science. Give me your origin story there. How did this happen? Yeah, I love studying the world and the big picture. So I did
7: my bachelor's degree in biochemistry and comparative religion at the University of Washington, Uh, went on to get a doctorate in evolutionary biology at Harvard. And I discovered about halfway through my doctorate that I liked talking to scientists about God uh, and maybe this was a sign. So um, I started the discernment process and uh, immediately went from my doctorate uh, to seminary, uh, became a priest in the Episcopal Church, and I have been looking for ways to exercise both ministry and scientific expertise ever since.
4: Okay, can you tell me about aliens?
7: I love talking about aliens. Well, there's a couple things here. I I feel like I have a responsibility as a scientific authority and a theological authority to say that there isn't any particular evidence of non-human intelligent life out there. Um, And so, all these stories about people Visiting us um, or experimenting on us, um, I don't get too excited about those because i I don't see them tying up with reality. Um, on the other hand, I love fiction, and the stories that we tell about aliens are, of course, the stories we tell about our neighbors. And so sometimes aliens are a really safe way to talk about how we treat our neighbors, and who we trust, and why, and how we think about non-human life. So, for me, talking about aliens is a great and often non-threatening way to get at some of the most fundamental questions. And Beyond that, the possibility that I could meet someone who genuinely had a different perspective than I did, that just thrills me. So I'm looking for aliens. I, I want to find aliens.
4: So, even just from the purely hypothetical level here, what are uh, what will, what it, what uh, extraterrestrial life mean uh, for theology? There has been an argument
7: about this for at least twenty five hundred years. Um, maybe for Christian theology, we should stick with two thousand. Um, But uh, it has to do with a long-standing debate about our relationship with God, and I think there are a lot of people out there who want to be reassured that God has a special attention for us and for our planet, which I certainly think God does, but I think also that God is big enough that God can have other kids that God pays attention to as well. So, we'd sort of come face to face if we met aliens with other beings capable of having the kind of relationship with God that we do. And I think that would be tremendously good for us. Um, Of course, it will be a readjustment, but honestly, I think it's more of an emotional readjustment than it is an intellectual readjustment. There's some, some great work out there from from Nicholas of Cusa in the Middle Ages to C.S. Lewis um, uh, to even more recent theologians uh, about the theological significance of aliens. And so that's been done, and and we've talked a lot about that.
4: What are some of those conversations? What are some of the conversations happening in the theological sphere right now? There's a a
7: wonderful man by the name of Guy Consolmagno who is the head of the Vatican Observatory. And Brother Guy likes to say, Christians are perfectly comfortable with non-human intelligences. We call them angels, and we've been talking about them for a long time. Um, And so, just looking at the Bible, just looking at Christian stories, we have a lot of commentary on what it means to have other intelligent beings worshiping God, and lo and behold, the first thing we're usually told is, don't worry, be not afraid, Uh, which probably suggests that it's a scary experience, but that we don't need to be scared of it, and that God really does work in ways beyond human understanding to make the world a better place than humans know how to hope for. What could be better than coming face to face with that?
4: Okay, so given the fact that this is all hypothetical uh, and that we don't really know one way or the other, what does the possibility even of alien life mean for us now here uh, living in the world today? It challenges us to think about our
7: relationship with God. So just switching to science for a moment, I've been doing astrobiology for 25 years, that's the study of life at the planetary scale. And in astrobiology, we think about what's interesting about life on Earth that we're looking for something similar elsewhere. Because we know it's going to be a little different. Um, you know, the common joke is life, Jim, but not as we know it. You know, we know it's going to be different. So, what is it exactly about human life that interests us? And that turns out to reveal a lot about us. Um, You know, we're interested about the way we order our environment. We're interested in the way we grow and evolve, both as individuals and as a species. We're interested in this marvelous interconnection between all living things uh, on Earth. And so all of those are, I guess, lenses through which we can look into the universe and say is there more of this out there but every time we do that we better understand what it is here that we value
1: i was reverend lucas mix go read The rest of that conversation right now at relevantmagazine.com. Listening to Peyton featuring Steve Lacey. The song is Verbs. All right, Jesse, did you learn something?
3: I, I I'm I'm a sponge when it comes to this. Stuff. <laughs> Soaked it every drop of it in. I hey I also have. Can I just say one thing about the Lambo conversation, real quick? <laughs> Do you know the closest I've come to a Lambo? And probably I can speak to a lot of people that were around, are around my same age. It's the Scholastic Book Fair when I'm in elementary school. It was like, I'm getting that Goosebumps book and I'm getting that Lambo poster. (laughs) Like every year, it was nothing but exotic car posters and like Goosebumps books. And it was like, dude, I got to save up. I got to get a new Lambo uh, poster for the bedroom. (laughs) Like green Lambo. Did you really
1: really have a Lambo poster in your childhood
3: bedroom? (sighs) Oh, heck yeah, man. How could you not? When you're at the book fair, you're like, see the fighter (laughs) jet or Lambo. (laughs) Did you have a a Michael Jordan poster? Everybody had a Michael Jordan poster. Everyone oh, yeah. had the one of Bo Jackson oh, yeah. where yeah. he's like, he's the oh, yeah. Baseball, yeah. everybody <laughs> had that. <laughs> the There's like five posters that every kid born between like 1979 and 1986 had. One was the, one was the black and white one that was vertical with Jordan holding like two basketballs, arms stretched out. Yeah. One was just a generic Jordan on the court. You know, one was a Lambo poster and one was the Bo Jackson the,
1: with the, the, the Red or. Ferrari poster. I mean, there was always yeah. yeah I mean, it was
3: either you were either Red Ferrari or Lambo.
5: It yeah. was either you would get one of those two. Obviously I would have had like Lambeau. the Saved by the Bell cast is what would have been on my wall had oh, I that one. And I'd also be the mom that the kid comes home. I'm like, you use my money to buy a poster. You owe me. Give me my three dollars back right no, now. No, it, no, you need I, to I buy will books. not apologize for my passion
3: for the United States of America or for orange Lambos, mom. <laughs>
1: I I, I uh, was a Charles Barkley fan, and in 1992, uh, three, four, somewhere in there, he won the MVP. It was in Jordan's prime. It should have been Jordan. Maybe it was mid nineties, but, but I, it was almost like the media was tired of giving the MVP to Jordan year after year. And so they gave it to Charles Barkley when he was with the Suns and I was a big Barkley fan. So I got a poster of Barkley after he won the MVP. And it said, you never forget your first. And I, as a teenager, of course, got the double entendre of that, but being a good Christian youth group kid with conservative parents, uh, you know, knew that I couldn't acknowledge what I knew would have meant. And my mom saw it on my wall and immediately made me take it down. And I played dumb, like, what do you mean? It's his first MVP. He's, it's just memorable. You know, (laughs) I got in trouble. No posters after that. Um, <laughs> all right. It is time for your feedback. Last week, we got talking about sports, actually, and uh, the quarantine sports. They all kicked up this week. Uh, there was an outbreak in Major League Baseball with a bunch of weird fake fans. And it was just a bizarre thing that Major League Baseball did.
5: Do you to- like the fake fans?
1: Oh, no. Oh, that was weird. Yeah, I mean, I there was, was the cardboard cutout fans, but then there yeah. was also ones where they had like like video game fake fans, like trying to do the wave, but it was glitching. Oh, I didn't see that. It was really weird. It was not good. Uh, uh, Basketball starting up uh, this week officially when this show comes out. It's the first real games of the NBA season. And and, uh, Major League Soccer is happening right now with their tournament. So we got talking last week about ways to spice up fanless sporting events right now. Uh, Jesse had a lot of ideas and we asked you some of your ideas for ways you would spice up fanless quarantine sports. You hit us up on Twitter at Relevant Podcast and you also sent messages to the Relevant Magazine Instagram account. Here are a few of our favorites. OK,
3: this is from this is from Kevin. Once a team is officially eliminated from playoff contention, a random fan gets chosen to coach the rest of the season to see if they can really do better. I love that because it eliminates <laughs> tanking. You know what I mean? Like, OK, that that is one surefire way to eliminate any of these teams tanking. It's like, right. OK, you're out of contention. Let's yeah. see if some random Joe from a lottery can do better than you can, you know, uh, insert terrible coach here, you know.
5: I like this one from Noah Starkson. He said, somebody should hide a little Waldo cutout every game amongst the fan cutouts. Then the announcers work to find it throughout the game. (laughs) But then he said for baseball, he said, get rid of the net behind the plate. I want to see a foul tip blast through a cutout's face.
1: (laughs) I saw that happen with a home run. Uh, Apparently a home run went out and it Mm. took the head off of a cardboard. (laughs) It's so weird. Yeah.
3: It it is unsettling and, and incredibly lame as
1: well. Okay, so we, you know, you guys know that we record this on midweek. And so the NBA season starts on Friday. I've heard reports that one of the things the NBA is doing, the courts that they've set up are like surrounded with these massive screens. And so they're customizing the game experience for the home team and they're doing crowd noise and all this other stuff. And they keep adding bells and whistles to the in-game experience. And one of the things I heard in the last few days was each team will be able to have 300 live fans Virtually. So these 300 mm. fans for that home team will get a special live feed. That's instant. It's not the TV delay and their faces will be projected on the huge screens like live So to like the a game. Zoom call and with Mike, the game. Yes. yes. <laughs> so I hit up my ticket rep for the Orlando magic last night and said, how do I get in on this? And she wrote back and I, Jesse, I said, I sent <laughs> Jesse the screenshot. <laughs> she wrote back and said, you're getting an email tomorrow yo <laughs> so m- me heckling That's the crazy, rest might, might be on on the screens for the mm-hmm. nba who knows who knows by the time this episode's out that will have been determined but i'm very excited i keep refreshing my email while we're recording have
5: um so I know how Major League Baseball just had like, you know, twelve, fourteen players on the Marlins tests positive earlier this week. Yeah. Has anything happened with NBA players?
1: Uh they test daily. Three hundred and forty-six players are in the NBA bubble, zero positives. They have done they're it. They're actually right.
5: not leaving that bubble, am I right? Well Correct.
1: unless they have an excused
3: family absence for a funeral and show up in Instagram uh stories at a
6: Entertainment
3: facility. That's he, literally avenue. No, no, busted on IG.
2: <laughs> yeah. My man, nice Louis tripping. He said he wanted some wings, though. Magic okay. City. supposed to have the, the best uh, wings. The, the, if if an say, NBA like. player has to
1: leave for a family emergency, they test every day while they're gone. And if they do that, then for the excused absence, when they come back, they only have to quarantine for two days, right? And have two clear tests back in the bubble. Lou Williams because his uh, venture was unexcused is having to quarantine for 11 days and he's going to miss some real games so um, he's not did he get
5: fined mm. for that uh,
1: I think I think he's going to lose the pay for the games that he okay. missed but yeah
2: that was just I hey, look you know what <laughs> <laughs> I would just I just be I would be quiet because I'm like look man uh, to have that <laughs> much money to be like you know what you know I'm gonna go to his funeral and I'm gonna stop by Magic City get some wings and call it a day. I don't he, know. Man. Here's
3: one from uh, from Twitter. Uh, instead of sound effects from the from uh, uh, MLB, like from baseball, they basically said uh, Major League Baseball should use sound effects from Wii Sports. So it's like great job, home run, switch sides. Yeah, honestly, it couldn't be any worse than what Major League Baseball is doing right now.
2: Man, Let's see. I got uh every cutout uh fan is Dr. Fauci, so everyone will make sure that social be <laughs> just
1: just he's there just watching you. He's just, always just, watching. Judging. He's, he's judging. The, judging. Judging. <laughs> <Just> <laughs>
3: judging
2: you from
1: uh, or how you one on cutout. the catch away from about, your wife.
3: Listen, how about you invite you invite fans <laughs> back in the stadium, but every other seat is a cardboard cutout of Dr. Fauci staring right at you? Like, <laughs> just, you're here. But just let you know I'm on both sides of you right now.
1: I love it. All right. Well, there's a lot more where that came from. Go check it out at uh, Relevant Podcast Twitter account. Uh, Okay. It's time for this week's editorial question of the week. Well, piggybacking off uh, Reverend Lucas Mix's conversation, we want to know this week for the question of the week, what you think about the implications of the possibility of, of, uh, aliens being real, like the implications on your faith. Specifically, we want to hear from you about your thoughts about the intersection of faith and science and this specific lane. Uh, if extraterrestrial life is real, does that change your theology? Um, hit us up on Twitter. If you have, well, you can do threads, I guess, hit us yeah. up on Twitter at relevant podcast, or you can message us, uh, at our relevant magazine, IG account, and we'll read our favorites next week. Cause. I, I'm I'm curious. I wanted to talk more about that side of it, you know.
3: Love I love this topic. Faith we could do a whole spin-off show on this and I'd be down.
1: I'm with it.
2: I'm with it. I'm I'm Jesse, come on man. We keep every hey, time. but we tomorrow, don't do it. Next week we need, we need to block out
3: some extra time for feedback because we're going deep. We're digging deep, people. <laughs> I'm and ready. If any of you dare question my passion for the United States of America <laughs> <laughs> or my God. <laughs> just in case that comes up I just want to let you know where I stand on oh my
1: gosh <laughs> many thanks to Need to Breathe for joining us make sure to check out their new album Out of Body which I think is an extraterrestrial reference oh yeah there it, out of it is it's coming out mm. August 28th uh, don't miss it and many thanks to uh, Reverend Lucas Mix for joining us as well you can read more of that conversation with him uh, and with New to over at RelevantMagazine.com. Well, on that note, we'll wrap things up. I'm Cameron Strang. I'm Jesse Carey. I'm Jamie Ivey. I'm Derek Miner. <laughs> we will see you next week, unless the aliens come first. Oh my gosh. <laughs>
0: listening to the relevant podcast check out our features interviews and news updates every day at relevantmagazine.com and make sure to follow relevant on twitter facebook and instagram for the latest for more great podcasts check out our relevant podcast network featuring shows like relevant daily signs of life unedited and many more launching throughout the year
3: I'm getting that Goosebumps book, and I'm getting that Lambo poster.
0: Relevant Podcast Network.